hey, what is DeFi innovation? What it is, it's the thing that happened on the investment bank derivative desks for the past 20 years is now happening in people's basements. Everybody can design a financial product that's mm -hmm. cool and like release it and people read and they're like, okay, this is cool. They start depositing money right. and then they start using it. And sure, there are mistakes and hacks and stuff along the way, but the overall innovation curve just keeps going up exponentially. And, and The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Archetype Wealth Partners or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating Bitcoin's Noise, I'm joined by Irfan Parvini, who is founder of Debs Capital. Irfan and I discuss how working in the hedge fund industry helped him understand the importance of thinking for himself. From this, he's learned that success requires a process for building a framework around the sentiment and never-ending narratives in crypto. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. All right, thanks everybody for joining today. I have with me Irfan Parvini, uh, founder and CEO of Depths Capital, uh, former TradFi, traditional finance guy, had worked at Point72, uh, now set up his own crypto algorithmic trading firm. I'll let him uh, explain a little bit more in detail. So Irfan, thanks for joining and tell everybody a little bit about yourself, brief summary, and then we'll kind of get, get rolling with these questions. Sure. Thanks for having me. I guess where do I begin? So I I, um, I started like trading first in 2014. I got into trading because I had a friend who was like, uh, and I think you met him actually. He was back then like into charting and, and stuff like that. So uh, I got... A shout out to yeah. Algo. <laughs> yeah. He sort of, you know sent me a bunch of stuff and I immediately got attracted to it because back then I actually it was my first semester in college and I had no idea what I wanted to do and um, I was just looking for something that I absolutely loved so I that just automatically resonated with me so I started like looking at charts technical stuff you know drawing trend lines and Fibonacci's and stuff like that and then by extension getting into like the fundamentals so like Every Friday, the non-farm payrolls and euro dollar would shoot up like one and a half percent, or gold would go down, stuff like that. So, uh, just found it fascinating. Started getting deep down into the macro rabbit hole. I mm -hmm. just loved the idea of like central banks and how they can, like how like this little thing that they do with interest rates just affects everybody's lives in every corner of the world. So I was just looking for this thing that I really love, and just macro and trading came up to be that exact thing. I remember like reading uh, Alchemy of Finance and I was like, wow, like this guy is a legend. I want to be one of these guys one day. <laughs> so, so you dipped your toe in that. How did, how did that go? What was it like compared to what you read? I did uh, a fellowship at D-Shaw, which is like this big quant hedge mm -hmm. fund in New York. And... Uh, you know, we spent like a week in the firm and like talked to people and it was like 
that was like the first real visual of Wall Street for me. I was like, wow, like this is cool. I went through all the rounds for Point Seventy Two, and I got the internship. And uh, the next summer, I spent the summer up there. It was uh, it was honestly really amazing. Like they do have so they have an academy program, and it's like it's real like quality analyst training. Where, you know, you just like learn everything from um, just how to look at things as an investor. And like, I think uh, a lot of breaking it down instead of just surface. level. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you what are the things that matter to a stock? Like, how do you identify narratives? How do you actually like model companies, not for the sake of modeling it, but for actually like trying to actually predict um, how do narratives and decisions turn into EPS numbers and, and, and just bottom lines and cash flow numbers and stuff like that. So then COVID hit and what happened post-COVID immediately was the first thing was, well, the Fed printed the equal amount of money as they did in the great financial crisis in the first week of mm-hmm. COVID. And I was like, okay, like this is crazy. Well, first we got the fastest, deepest crash of S&P 500, right? Like yep. 37, two 8%. Weeks. Yeah, in two weeks. Then we had this unprecedented amount of money coming in. It's like uncertainty is the absolute peak. And then in parallel to all this, you have Bitcoin crashing to three grand and then coming all the way back up to 10 again. And for the first time, like, Big faces start talking about him. Paul Tudor Jones goes yeah. on. So I, I like for me that was like a very big moment. His view was very simple, and I always appreciated simplicity. Another thing that I carried over from point seven is like, look, no matter how complex your analysis or your views are, if you're not like able to synthesize and just like put it in a very simple format. It doesn't matter. So that's a big thing is like, what did you carry over from your time in traditional space at point seventy two? Some of the yeah. best, arguably the smartest people in the room with Cohen yeah. and, and everybody that works there. You're there, you go through this intense training. What did you take away that helps in crypto? Because there are, yeah. na- I mean, the narratives change every week. They're most yeah. of the time overly complex for just to sound smart. So how do you cut through that? What did you learn there that helps you cut through that? The biggest thing is how to like develop a process and like a thought, like framework of thoughts, like how to think about an investment. It's like previously, like before that, you just, you just see a lot of information and you get overwhelmed. You're like, okay, like I have no idea. People talk about Bitcoin and store value. People talk about ETH and like, the most decentralized smart contract platform. And then people talk about proof of stake and speed. And then people talk about DeFi and lending. It's like you you get all caught up. And you get latched on to something and another narrative yeah. blows your mind. Like, and now you're just yeah. chasing, dog exactly. chasing Like, yeah, exactly. So, like, the biggest thing that... I mean, I learned a lot of stuff and I carried over a lot of stuff, but the biggest that can be applied to crypto is how to take a step back, look at the big picture... And come up with a thought process that can be used to frame an investment. And mm-hmm. it could be as simple as, hey, I want to be long XYZ because I've seen 
transaction growth, user growth, volume growth, blah, blah. And the narrative is there and the growth is there. I want to be long it in this time frame. So like the biggest thing is the thought process, but there are a lot of nuances. Like one of the things that didn't carry over is like, I think it's important to talk about is in equities in general, you have like the smartest people in the world investing in it versus in crypto, it's still even today, probably like 60, 70% of the price movements are driven by retail and just like mass it's mean. thought. It's it's mean. mean. It's, it's yeah. mean. It's what happened with um, uh, AMC and, and yeah. all of that. Like, Wall Street like, Exactly. Just, it's it's mean. It's just like the herd. Of yeah, it's that. a herd of retail mm-hmm. uh, deciding to long or short, mostly long. Um, something and so one of the things that did not carry over and I actually had trouble with it was everything that you do in the equities world is backed up by some sort of model or number or ultimately your goal at least is or your hope rather is that you've you've modeled something you have a per share price or a share price and you think that in the long term prices diverge to fundamentals but in crypto, that's not the case at all. 90% of price movements are driven by sentiment. So you could buy something very undervalued and it can remain undervalued for like... For years. For, forever. Yeah. And people just don't think that undervalued is actually there's any value there. Or something like, I don't know, Shiba could mm-hmm. come out of nowhere. Absolute, like it just, it's nothing. And it can go up to 40 billion market cap. And there's a couple of things there. To me, it, that seems like why so many people early on latched on to Plan B. Yeah. Because there's this model that said, here's this fair value. Yeah. Here's where price is today, whether it's above or below. And it consistently tracked along. Right. Now, yeah. as with all models, same thing happened in 2008 and every other hedge fund black box model. Yeah. When enough people started following it, guess what happens? Yeah. Model breaks, up. right? And people make variations. But... The other key thing that, that you said is, you know, the ability to create frameworks and thought process around the narratives. Yeah. And, and what has been different to me in the last four or five years is the memification of stocks and crypto. And Just you know, we may not you know. like the narratives and there may not be there may not be enough models that support the price. But what Wall Street bets proved is they can play the same game that Wall Street in their own little silo has yeah. traditionally played. And because if you have hundreds of thousands or a couple of million people with 20 grand, it can do the same, same thing, thing as 10 guys with a couple billion dollars. Exactly. And and honestly, in a lot of cases, even more, because a lot of times, like, you have one hedge fund, I don't know, with a billion dollars and they never lever up more than four or five times because right. it's just dangerous. Yep. But on this side, you have like maybe a billion in aggregate capital just that's leveled up like 50 times. Just YOLO. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think that was like one of the side effects of COVID that nobody predicted. That was like, okay, you have all these people at home and they have nothing to do and it's just a legal casino. I think somebody sued Robin Hood at some point for something that yeah. like, hey, you guys are effective, like you're gamifying this. Yeah. So you're just like basically taking stocks and you're putting like a slot machine sort of thing on it, cover on it. And now people come in with a thousand bucks, expect to make like 10 million overnight. And, and I think that's 
kind of explains where we are in the broader <laughs> financial ecosystem. That's one of the more interesting points if you read Lords of Finance or When Money Dies, which is about World War One, Two, and Great Depression, yeah. and Germany's falling. That gambling, that casino atmosphere, yeah, was what took it into that peak. Yeah, right? that's what took it into the peak of twenty nine. Is like there were no rules around leverage, which in crypto markets there weren't. They're yeah. starting to tighten and and be put in place, but but you know one thing that. I think it's different in crypto. Is that it's um, there are no rules, but the whole concept of the market will self-regulate and like over time, like it'll work out on its own. Is playing always plays out at its finest. Yeah. Because you don't have because first of all you have equal treatment for everybody. Like it's not like if I if I'm a bigger size if I have a bigger size book I can go to the exchange and say hey move your liquidation ratio for me like just this much like mm-hmm. everybody gets an equal treatment and um everybody has access to almost the same amount of uh whether it's leverage or whether it's terms or you know what trading terms swap like platforms in general and that and you don't have outside factors like the Fed or other organizations to come and like bail people out. I mean, well, I, can... I mean that's one of the benefits because it's all computers and algorithms. Now there may be a problem above yeah. in the algorithm that causes errors, those unintended consequences. We've seen that with hacks and exploits. Yeah, but where the crypto ecosystem, as long as the people running and making decisions within the code stays uh, good and not greedy, is better than say a central banking system because. You've got 12 to 25 guys deciding what their view is rather than like, here's the code of law and it's going to operate. And like, doesn't matter if you come and like, okay, you got a billion bucks. We're not moving the rate for you versus me. That is absolutely true. And one of the effects of this is that by nature, crypto becomes volatile Mm -hmm. because... And that's like interesting because people outside of crypto try to frame this as a negative. Crypto is volatile. Don't go near it. But one of the reasons that it is volatile is that you don't have an outside organization or an outside force trying to, you know, exactly massaging the price and the market is like seasonally adjust. Yeah. If if the market is over levered and price drops 10%, guess what? We're going to get cascading liquidations mm. and the price is going to drop from 65 grand to 30K right. in like one week. And the people who and took on 100X thing. leverage will be wiped out. That money transfers and, across yeah, the system. system. And the next rally will be healthier. Mm-hmm. And like that is, in my opinion, a benefit, like a an improvement over what we have. Yes, it is more volatile, but you got to appreciate the reason. Right. And if um, you don't have a volatile, you know, volatility is tough, but if an asset doesn't have volatility, it's not an asset. Yeah. Um, it becomes a liability exactly, yeah. because it just erodes in value to, to zero over time. Um, so what about, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing at Depths. Um, you know, Bitcoin is arguably easily the the base layer of the crypto system crypto ecosystem the main uh layer one but you're working on some other layer ones liquidity providers stable coins what are you doing there what do you see in terms of value in some of these other layer one technologies yeah protocols 
Yeah, so um, summer of 2020 was when I went full-time crypto. And the reason was for the first time, I saw real product market fit. Something real that crypto ecos like crypto technology has enabled via smart contracts that was actually being used by users and it was growing like exponentially. And that was like the early days of Uniswap and mm-hmm. Compound and um, Aave and MakerDAO and stuff like that. The whole yield farming. Yes, website. exactly. That was like the first, like, and like the people in crypto called them the money Legos. It was mm-hmm. like basically the base layers, like Uniswap was the main swapping mechanism. MakerDAO was the main collateralizing. You could deposit your ETH and borrow DAI, the stable coin against it. And, and then synthetics came in with synthetic assets. And then you have, uh, you had year and finance come in and like sort of do aggregations and yield. And all of a sudden you can deposit your assets that you borrowed against and get yield on it. And it was like, a whole beautiful moment because for the first time there was this beautiful match like product market fit between the two so when i like the term legos that was something years ago i it it occurred to me and that was the way i explained it and in financial systems to date for the most part they are connected they're integrated but it's it's very siloed you know this guy has the data and they don't want to share it they don't have to but in this Lego world, and we've all played with Legos as kids. Where most of us have. This is like the best thing ever because you get this this design in a box, and and you spend a couple of hours, and you build it, and you're like, well, now it's kind of boring because the fun was building, it, right? Even though you involved in instructions, yeah. and then once you buy two or three boxes, they all have different shapes, different colors, different you know things, and you got all these different pieces, and then what do you do? You just crash them, and you start building stuff using your imagination. But- and so that, DeFi and crypto and Bitcoin that, yeah. allows people to build financial products. That's with one of the things I always talk yeah. exactly. Like I always tell my friends, like, hey, what is DeFi innovation? What it is, it's the thing that happened on the investment bank derivative desks for the past 20 years is now happening in people's basements. Like and everybody were- can design a financial product that's mm-hmm. cool and like release it and people read and they're like okay this is cool they start depositing money right and then they start using it and sure there are mistakes and hacks and stuff along the way but the overall innovation curve just keeps going up exponentially and, and that's a great point because the derivatives desks have been doing cool financial technology for 80 years 50 years whatever the number is um but it's all in OTC contracts. It's all in off-the-books agreements between two firms. They have, yeah, they have that's, the that agreement. The... But now, like you said, yeah. any guy in his mom's well, basement can be can like, design one. And like, yeah, I mean, and it can gather meaningful. I mean, like you can talk about like Uniswap, for example. Like uh, Hayden Adams created the Uniswap protocol and... Like it was like literally him and a few other buddies, like two, three coders created a protocol. And today it has like 10 plus billion TVL and consistently has above a billion dollars in 24 hour volume. Like and TVL, time value lock, that's yes, assets yes. locked uh, inside in a, the Uniswap protocol. Yes, yes. So that's like the, the biggest um, sort of KPI that, um, that people use in DeFi. But going back to the lay of ones and all that. Mm-hmm. So summer 2020, 
DeFi happens, and everyone's like, wow, this is crazy. Then, you know, prices go off exponentially, and they, they sort of crash and retrace in September, October. And, and just then, step back a second. DeFi was really what stemmed from ICOs in 2017. Yeah. It was, it was the survival iteration. Yeah. I wouldn't frame it that way because I think, like, ICOs were a framework to raise capital. Correct, but the survivors after the crash ultimately ended up working yes, on DeFi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yes. So, like, actually, a lot of the DeFi OGs raised their yep. initial money via an ICO. Yep. Like, Aave did that. Synthetics did that. A lot mm-hmm. of the. Uh, and then after the crash, the people that had real products, not just were out like, "Hey, we can raise a couple hundred million dollars and do nothing." Yeah. Those guys went away, some lawsuits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Just like anything else, it goes through the same cycle. But yeah, I find crypto history amazing. I mean, like in the 2018-19 bear market, there were a few builders that came out to be the OGs, like the Office, Synthetics, uh, Uniswap, stuff like that. Summer 2020, DeFi happens, prices go up, crash. And then December... uh, 2020 was when Bitcoin broke into all-time high. And that was the spark of the following, like, five months of absolute up only. Um, number go up. Number budget. just keep going up. And this time, number was going up a lot higher and a lot faster because this was the first time that, especially on large-cap stuff, we had, like, big exchanges with, perpetual futures and, and a lot of leverage and stuff like that. So, Right, because the stuff back, the futures market really was kind of late 16, but started being built in 17, but it took until like late 18, early 19, and then really 2020 for it to be the, adopted yeah. and used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the futures stuff... Um, Bitmex started it uh, with like, well, Bitmex came up with the idea of the perpetual futures contract, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, no expiration. Every hour there's a funding rate and every hour it gets adjusted and so on. But that's true, especially with like both in the bear market, Binance had time to build and FTX came out. And those two ended up being like the monsters that existed in mm-hmm. the world. And they're a lot, they made a lot of money on the on the future side and just like the, the derivative product yep. side. Yep. But what they enabled was obviously a lot of leverage. May happens, Bitcoin is way over levered, prices crash, and everybody starts to wonder, including myself, okay, like what's gonna happen now? Is, are things gonna come back? Are things gonna go down? Like what's, what's going to happen? And so one of the things that we saw during the boom was Ethereum obviously was the OG main sort of DeFi platform, mm-hmm. uh, the base layer, the base smart contract layer for all yep. the DeFi. In my view, you got two layers. You got base layer money, Bitcoin, base layer technology, Ethereum. And, and now you're starting to get some other stuff morph out of that. Built on top of it, yes. So, so yeah, so as the activity picked up, the it became clear that Ethereum's model is not like this scalability issue mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. real. So you had a lot of people coming in for NFTs, for DeFi, for Uniswap, stuff like that. And and then transaction fees started going up. Transactions started to take longer. I mean, I have paid as much as 500 and something dollars for one swap on Uniswap and waited probably like 
30-35 minutes mm-hmm. for it to happen. So that became clear. And historically, just if you go back into prior years, earlier years, same thing happened with Bitcoin. Same thing happened yes. with Ethereum at, at different times. But all along the way throughout this pure cycle of innovation, mm-hmm. at those tops, you have you know big news headlines, exchanges freezing, Freeze crashing, uh, transaction fee, fees, transaction fees spiking. Like, taking hours, 24 hours before. Exactly. No, no, that, that, all of that was happening. That is absolutely true. Um, all of that was happening. But then after the Bitcoin crash, crypto world was looking for the next narrative. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, where do we go next? Where do we go from here? And that was when the layer one ecosystem sort of narrative started to come in. And it was not just narrative. It started in narrative and later became mm-hmm. a real thing. But the whole point was like, okay, now we know that there's product market fit in crypto. Yep. Now we know that the main one being Ethereum has scalability and fee problem. Now we do have a lot of crypto users, but where are they going to go? And that's when the other layer ones came in. The, the proof of stake sort of large layer ones that had large backings could enable on and off ramps had built good bridges from Ethereum and all that came in. So Solana's of the world and Avalanche and 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 Phantom and, and all that started to come in later in the summer. They launched these big incentive programs where it was, uh, you know, like they allocated a large portion of, uh, a large portion of their tokens to be given out as liquidity mining rewards, basically incentives for people mm-hmm. to come in and deposit and start using the protocol. And, so and for some of these, this isn't all that much different than like what the Fed is doing. When you look at no cap to supply and, and you know, they may have a fixed issuance originally, but it's extremely high. So it can allow them to funnel money into the system to create the yeah, incentive but, to build. Yes, but there's a slight problem. Like, there's a slight difference, and that's um, the fact that like these tokens by themselves they don't have value, right? So like, you have to monetize them. Sort of Correct. how the yeah. Fed monetizes yeah. debt, almost. Um, so what in reality happens is a big layer one, let's say Avalanche, for example goes out and sells a bunch of their tokens to a bunch of large VCs. Mm-hmm. So they raise, I don't know, two, three, four, five hundred million dollars of cash. And then they get that cash and then they bring it in the ecosystem and now they start incentivizing. And then mm-hmm. they're like, and it's not just incentivizing users, it's also incentivizing builders. Um, because well, if they store that across various assets, stable coins, what it, whatever it may be in the crypto ecosystem, they're also leaving room for working capital, cash to grow over time. Exactly. Then- yeah. From if you look at it from a TradFi standpoint, that's actually correct. Yes, it is almost working capital. It's it's and then some of, of it is the airdrops yeah, and all the other stuff. Yeah, create the incentive. It's a mix of working capital. Like marketing budget, like SGNA, like you name it. It's like it's sort not of a mix that of all. different if if Musk, when he set up Tesla, right, he comes up with this idea, this thing for EV battery batteries and cars yeah. and storage. Well, he goes to VCs, he raises money, they give him a chunk. Well, he doesn't just sit on it. 
he invests some of it. He has some of it for working capital. He has some of it for expenses and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. But I think like one of the biggest differences is um, in the Tesla example, things are done a lot more um, in a sort of organized pre-planned way traditional way you have like a bunch of people in the boardroom sitting down and running IRR calculations and stuff like that on projects in crypto you have like hey we're team XYZ avalanche we're building a DEX like a decentralized exchange and it's cool because it has XYZ features Uh, you're asking for 20 million in incentives can you give it to us? And they're like, yeah, sure, here, and like, go do it. And do you think that's one of the bigger hurdles for, and why it's taken so long, obviously up until arguably 2020, for the traditional people to get involved and to get interested is because in crypto, it truly feels like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if yeah, whatever, and then they're like, look, here's a token, fund it. Like, you know, and so retail... The, the people that are kind of YOLOing or, and some people that are more sophisticated than that, but they, they fund it with no business plan, no, like, I went to the bank and they approved me for these loans and they gave me some valuation based on yeah. tangible physical things. But, but it, it's just it, a different ecosystem. It's the same stuff, different ecosystem. System, yes. And one of the effects of that is it leads to a more organic Right. Like shaping of the ecosystem, right? Like you have a lot of hacks, you have a lot of growth, you have a lot of innovation. But ultimately, what what we've seen, at least over the past three, four years, is that it works. Yeah. Like it's true entrepreneurial. Yeah, it's like like, it's true entrepreneurship at its core. It's like. It's I mean, not all. It's not like I'm going to be an entrepreneur if the Fed or the bank guarantees I don't fail. Yeah, exactly. Like. When you have an idea, it, it well it it helps with so many things. Like it helps with a, a lot smoother, faster, more direct capital raise. It's it, it just helps with a lot of things. Yeah. And I get you know like you need regulation and you need like a framework around yeah, things yeah. and you need to protect investors and this and that. But what you don't need the self regulate. Yeah. You don't need to coddle. That's, yeah, that's, exactly. That's the big like, difference. Another like side effect of this the crypto ecosystem being self-regulating has been by sort of definition like nature has allowed the strongest to survive so like the people who tend to fund a lot of the early super early seed round stages for these projects are people who can afford it like you Mm -hmm. know like there are people who've made it big and you know if they're 250k seed round and xyz goes to zero they're fine because their 250k in abc will do it 200x you know what i mean so um so it's like for me like honestly being in the crypto the the most rewarding part of it has been watching a psychological experiment like a philosophical psychological Mm -hmm. experiment and how it's worked like that's been the most beautiful thing for me and like i've always found finance and trading and all that to be just a big, even though with all the quants and with all the algos and with all of all of this stuff, at the end of the day, it's psychology. It's people who push these buttons and drive markets, and and that's um, the true beauty of minimal to no regulation. Yeah, is you see 
how humans react, how they yeah. FOMO into stuff. And once the last buyer's bought, how they just cascade out. And once the last seller's sold, if that narrative still makes sense psychologically, uh, investors come back. Yeah. And hey, I, I'm aware of, I've been aware of this for the past like two years. And I find myself being stuck in that decision and making the same mistakes sometimes. Like I did sell a bunch of stuff at the pickle bottom of like Bitcoin 30K. Mm-hmm. I have like I have I I find like I'm someone who's very well aware of these psychological aspects of how we get caught up in the FOMO and this and that, and I find myself being stuck in not selling the tops, selling the bottom stuff like that all the time. Same. I mean, I've done the same. My yeah. Whole, so yeah, and and that's why it works. Like, like well, that's the beauty of not having a guarantee because at some point you either figure it out or you go well, you do just something get else. Washed away. Yeah, yeah, like you know, like this past year I have. Uh, you know, like made 10 X's, 20 X's followed by like a negative 70, 80%. Yeah, so like, I'm out your... of things. yeah, like I've almost gone, I've made a lot and I've almost gone broke yep. right after like this past year, like a few months ago. So it's like, it's a very, and then you learn and you evolve and you change yeah. your approach and you hopefully survive, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing that casino theory plays in because the guys that go and win at the casino, they don't win 80, 90, 100% of the time. Okay. Sure, there may be one or two guys that does, and the casino yeah, basically kicks them out. Yeah, always exist. But, but if you win 50 to 60% of the time, you can make a lot of money. You just have to know when it's the other 40, 40. 50% and exit early. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter what kind of investing you do. We deal with that a lot. The client base we deal with, they get just as emotional as anybody else. So it's like, can you, um, as you, you put it, do you have a thought process in place? Do you have a framework that helps you make Maybe. good decisions? And are you chasing every news headline that they throw out there? Uh, or Sticking do you already have this right process that you feel confident in? And when you see news headlines that either confirm or go against it, you have a way to channel like is this fake news is this disinformation or is this something i should actually pay attention to too. yeah no and sadly there's a lot of that out there today that if you don't i think a lot of the problems that even myself have had and a lot of losses that i took early on in the year is when you outsource judgment to other correct sources in general yeah. like i used to see somebody post a screenshot of i don't know like transaction flows from a fund or something and like look like xyz is buying this token i was like like let's yolo some into this thing mm-hmm. so but the minute and it does like, work to an extent they don't they don't it's, say it's hey a, i'm exiting yeah yeah Exactly. It, it's not a repeatable, it's not something that you can rely on as a key piece of your process. Right. You can use that as a, um, you know. You can use a, it as a signal. But as if a you're signal, a flag that this is interesting. If your framework and thought but, process don't have more exactly. foundations to them. Like, I, yeah. One of the things that I would say, if, if like one of the biggest things I've learned this past year is not outsourcing thinking yeah. and judgments and like just use your own because odds are you know uh, people just tend to represent whatever benefits their own you know it's just it, it's, it's no uh, secret people frame things the way 
it's in their own benefit. And um, that's a key. That's a that's a really big point, though. And I think um, if we step outside of crypto and we step outside of finance, I mean, the last couple of years have been taxing on everybody. Yeah. Uh, the level of disinformation, misinformation, true information that looks false, false yeah. information that looks true, has been taxing. But but the to me the the problem isn't the information. It's exactly what you said. Most people because they're inundated with so many things and life is speeding up, they've outsourced their thinking. And they say, well, this quote unquote reputable historical media outlet said this, I'm not gonna read the article, I'm gonna read the headline, or I'm gonna choose to read the first three sentences and skip the fourth and fifth sentence, which are the depth and the information. Like people uh, have taken this idea of keep it simple and what they've really done is herded themselves into something that's not true yeah that's to me that that's like a big issue and it stems from just everything i need to do needs to be in 280 characters yeah (laughs) so like if i'm a crypto investor if i can't get a cool meme in less than 280 characters it's not an investment or it's not worth my attention yeah so yeah. what are, what are you doing at Depths Capital? Like what's your yeah. guys' thesis? Well, what's your focus? What's your interest? Yeah, well, I mean, company really started in like 2017 as me wanting to build my resume when I applied for funds and banks that, hey, I do trading on my own. Mm-hmm. And I was trading, but it was a personal account. And I was like, okay, I want to... I'll just make an LLC and just have it as, you know, a thing on my resume. And it was a good talking point. So it started that way. Summer 2020, I uh, had some close fans and family. And I was like, this crypto thesis is mm-hmm. a real thing. So let's let's go with it. So I, I started investing actively. It's been mostly pure, fundamental, sentiment-driven sort of investing. And it's been just, you know, buying tokens and just trying to understand these new protocols, sometimes actively participate in, you know, adding liquidity, doing swaps, borrowing, lending, stuff like just be a forefront user of these products so you can actually know if this is a thing with a future or it's just all, you know, like. Because that's a big thing, like, if you look, if you go through the tokens and you look at the white papers and you read them. It's hard to say this is going to make it or it's not. But if you they look at that it. framework and thought process and say, look, do do the masses, does the average guy really need yeah. these things? And are these just buzzwords or are they like real features? that Real work? things. Exactly. No, that's like, for example, like in an environment where I'll just give a very simple real world example. Like if you have a product that has a simple on-ramp of fiat into the crypto account and it's offering like, I don't know, 5% yield when you stake your um, stable coin in a very safe smart contract, like a very safe like mm-hmm. coin-based style smart contract or mm-hmm. something. Um, Let's just use an example, Gemini. Yeah, Gemini, exactly. Like a, Sorry, like a very- percent Yeah, exactly. In, in an environment that you have like, real rates zero, like your bank account savings is paying 0.10 is 1% in yield. Um, that is like a real thing. Like people, right. like that's something that people actually use for. Of course, of yep, course, like yep. with, with everything is a risk. And, and, but also once you do that, 
there's this whole other stable coin world. You and I've had this conversation a number of times. Yeah, that, that is the whole that you can get podcast what? on its own. Yeah, <laughs> but you can get eleven, thirteen. No, I mean there was a there was a a, a protocol that actually um, recently turned out that like one of the prominent people in it was a um, connected to an exchange hack from last year or something, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. sort of when it was the main narrative it was called abracadabra yep. and there was this whole narrative for three or so four maybe months we should also called... look at the names yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was no, there was a narrative uh that was like really strong in crypto it was like DeFi 2.0 yeah yep. and they basically like what it was doing it was like you would deposit and st- let's say there was a contract that was paying out 10 percent in a stable coin yield you would deposit your money into Abracadabra and they would allow you to loop it. So what they would do is you would de- they would take your money, deposit your ten thousand, let's say let's say a thousand dollars, and they would deposit a thousand dollars into that ten percent um, mm-hmm. yielding staking pool. And then they would get and so when you deposit those, you get a receipt. In a lot of cases they call it um I don't know, if it's you deposit USDT, you get XUSDT yep, yep. or AUSDT or BUSDT, whatever. They just it's just a different stable coins. And then you can take that stable coin because it's stable. Like there's right. no liquidation price. Yep, yep. It's supposed to stay at one. So you can take those and borrow against them and put more stable coin in right. that pool. And so yeah. there was so, one so the strategy. Thing there is like total washing, total Ponzi scheme. But instead so, of them having to go find another Irfan to put another thousand dollars in they're like hey wait you can lever your new oh, coin, new, new token yeah you can lever it and give us more so yeah. they, they didn't even have to find new users and the honestly the beautiful thing is that it works like it's um it, <laughs> well, it, it always works until the, the, it, it, you it pull does, out yeah. enough no, no, but the the problem is it gets confusing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, if, yeah, even yeah. for me, it was confusing no, yeah, for like a few you. weeks to like try to understand yeah. how this works. But then the problem becomes the second stablecoin that you borrow. In the minute that you know nothing in crypto is certain. Let's make that even simpler. Nothing in life is it's, certain. <laughs> <laughs> Just take the Fed no, out. No. Nothing is certain. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, basically, like in a strategy like the one I uh-huh, just described. Uh-huh. Your only risk is if the stablecoin drops in value. Correct. So it goes from a dollar to like 95 cents. Yep. And that's very rare. But from time to time, it happens. Like, especially like on siloed exchanges. Like, I don't know, if XYZ exchange has $100 million in USDC. Yeah. And... All of a sudden, there's a redemption for eighty million, eighty yeah. percent of it right. for a brief one minute or ten minutes. The price could drop to ninety five, yep. and during that time span, if the price codes that that specific liquidity pool is fetching is from that particular exchange, yep. then this whole thing will just come down real quick. Like everybody will get liquidated. So, Abracadabra had a strategy called DJet Box. There you even <laughs> these names these names are like more telling than the and than you could turn you could turn uh, the stablecoin yield on a particular liquidable that was like let's say twenty percent you could turn that into a hundred and forty percent yeah because only a degenerate would think you could do that. yeah but yeah. <laughs> exactly and then the um 
but your like but your the risk would be if the price of that stablecoin would drop to like ninety seven cents, your money. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, things like that exist. But let's step back. That happened in two thousand seven eight. Yeah. Okay. So we got but too the, much liquidity uh, from Fed printing, and and then uh, we got euro dollars. Yeah. That created this excess liquidity over and above. It was technically backed by the dollar, but not really backed by anything because these abracadabra banks around the world, not in the U.S., created more <laughs> dollars. And then magically, the money market fund went the below bucks, a buck. The DJ bucks blew up and went to 90 or whatever, 85, yeah. I don't even remember what it was. But And that was a cascading domino could, effect. Yeah, so exactly. here we go whatever, 14 years later, 13 years later, and we say, oh, we have this new economic system and it's really just new names. Yeah. Because the same game, yeah. you know, you've got Madoff running Abracadabra, mm. uh, who is recreated Euro dollars and money market <laughs> funds and they all broke. Yeah. So no, that, that's very, just kind of funny. I it's not... looked at it this way, but no, it's very... It's, you know, but facetiously saying all that... Um, how the world gets forward and how the new evolution of new systems. Uh, I do think a lot of this works. So, um, yeah. what do you? I don't have a bias. I just try everything and everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I guess like one of the big things that has changed in my process is like about four months ago we started to build some uh, algorithmic stuff, and you know it's still work in process. But um, it's proof been, of work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a work in process, proof of work. But um, no, so like I've uh, one of the big things for me was like, hey, you know, like this space is cool. But if you're like just investing, it's not that fun. Like actually, if you, like you'll find yourself like finding one or two narrative and like mm-hmm. you're like, okay. It like, keeps you getting up in the morning. Yeah, like, but then you don't have anything to do. All, I mean, like. Well, but think about your traditional finance days. Like, real investing is boring. Boring. It is. It's like it, Trump it, said. It, it like, honestly, the news is supposed to be so boring you don't want to read it. Really? Like, investing this is supposed to be to so boring that you'd rather go get a day job, not, like, glued to a screen. Like, oh, my God, look at Square. It's yeah. down 50% in two hours. And some, some t- like, for the most part, like, early in the year when we had, like, the up-only market, like, I was actively trading all the time and it was exciting. But like when everything normalizes and things calm down, yes, like 90% of the time investing is boring. Like you do a bunch of research and you buy or you sell and now you sort of just have to monitor. The thing. You have to be like a sniper. Yeah. You spend all your time, you set up like days in advance, you're just waiting on the target and like when it's there, you got to pull the trigger. But I mean, that's but a bad analogy. Pull, but like, you have to pack up and yeah. go. <laughs> but how? Yeah, and then yeah. But how taxing is just trading everything under the sun? Yeah, no, it, it is very. Um, it is very mentally, boring and physically. Mentally, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. You know, like early in the year, like you know, I was up until two. I was up again at six a.m. And that four hour, I was yeah. sleeping. I would. You know, I've I've <laughs> I've never experienced anything like this. I would just randomly wake up every thirty minutes and check stop losses and like, oh my god, this happened. Asia did this, ah, all of that. And then what so, happened? You got on the Brackley Burpee program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then and then uh, I got. Don't a Google that. 
yeah no but i've so what i did was about four months ago or something i decided to stop actively trading um extend the time horizon of the investing a little bit and focus a little bit on building so that's what i've been busy for the most part building some you know, strategy like quant strategies, mm-hmm. um, and also like most recently we have started to build some on-chain, like you know, arbitrage stuff. Just yeah. like dabbling into SBF on-chain. <laughs> yeah, well, he was too early and too a million smart. Million bucks a day or something. Like yeah, that. no, too early, too smart. Uh, there's not like stuff like that anymore. It doesn't exist. But it's just cool to build and like be part of the space yeah and so that's what i've been mostly focusing on the past four so, months or so so that's been awesome good experience a good change what what yeah. um, what parts of that most excite you like in the next couple when you when you look forward uh in your framework your thought process yeah uh, I, the narratives I, what, which ones most excite you right now so first of all crypto as a whole is exciting mm-hmm. because um I mean, like we made this giant leap last year, I think that last two years that crypto from like perception of being an absolute scam and like nonsense to now perceived as, okay, like there's real besides, you know, just uh, Bitcoin and store of value and all of that. There's like an actual real technology there that can be used. And so that in itself is going to be probably bring probably like a decade worth of like just structural growth yep. and that's like one of the things that keeps me exciting even though like these past few weeks with all the ukraine and the fed trying to raise rates again and inflation stuff and all that all the markets have been down 30 40 50 yeah, yeah all the noise but what has me excited and keeps me going is that like the genie added is out of the box yeah. in terms of crypto uh, technology and like yeah. now you have like major name and you you can measure that in any way you want you can measure it by the products that exist you can measure it by the type of money that's coming in i mean you got yeah. like the tigers and the sequoias and like all of those They're, are coming in with big box this yeah. time you've had i mean come on you've had like the most successful entrepreneur in crypto sbf go from zero to the richest under 30 year old self-made billionaire like worth 40 billion dollars in three years right where else can you get if if this is like there's just like proofs of this to to, to back that up there's three or four things fundamentally right if we talk about investing you gotta have a fundamental yeah absolutely okay fundamentally i think it was uh 19 the occ said that banks can hold digital assets early or 20 i don't remember it was august september uh, early 2021, banks can use stable coins to go around using Swift, ACH, and Fedwire because they're faster, cheaper, and more efficient, yeah. right? Okay, so the U.S. arguably runs the financial system. Absolutely. They just said you can use these tools. Well, then fast forward, you know, a couple of firms get bought. They they allow BlockFi's, Gemini, Coinbase, Kraken, all yeah. those guys to, to continue on. Well, just last week or the week before, and this is huge, nobody's talking about it. The BlockFi- uh, $100 million fine. $100 million fine, and they've let them go on for like two years, okay? $100 million for issuing unregistered security, that's like 
rule number one in financial yeah. markets, you can't issue unregulated securities. Yeah. And the SEC said, okay, $100 million. I mean, they effectively said, we don't care, yeah. which is fine, but I think that's, like, that's a one, fundamental. That's one of the biggest slaps. Yeah. Like that. But but relative is, to like if Goldman MB one or MDB yeah. one is like a couple billion dollars, uh, JP Morgan gets hit annually with hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, HSBC is one of the most known mm. players for like anything dirty. They get like <laughs> Wells Fargo. They create accounts for their client yeah. like all the time. Get hit. But what I'm saying is, if that's all they were going to find them. They could have fined them out of oblivion, said, hey, every one of your users yeah. lose money. And they didn't. Yeah. And that proves oh, what you said. Like the promise for the next decade is, you know, call it Bitcoin, call it crypto, call it whatever you want. But the ecosystem of digital money. Yeah, it's happened. Like bottom line is it is going to happen. Whether that the question is, how does it shake out? Like how many big TradFi players will end up joining? How many yep. of them will end up suing and being a you know mm-hmm. block on the way? How, it's it's just a matter of how it will yep. shake out. What has me excited is the fact that like this thesis has been tested multiple times, yeah. dozens of times over the past few years and even the past few months. And the gist of it is this that it's happening. If you look at the mobile adoption the internet adoption, adoption relative to Bitcoin address adoption. Exactly. Yeah, that's what uh, literally I was guy. about to say. Economists put a chart on like the innovation S curve yep. and how like crypto user adoption is like exactly following yeah. the internet adoption. So was yeah. it Tim, Tim or whatever at Fidelity? He's the one who put it out like last week. I I don't know. Bad with names. Uh. And it's like if that is going to be true, the next five years. You want to be alone, crypto. Yeah, yeah. Like the and next five years, to, like, you're going to take some brutal losses. Loss? Yeah, it's it's going to be volatile, but like on average, I think you get like five of these S curve type adoptions yeah. a century. Correct. So when you see one, like yeah. get long, you know, like and we're going to say not financial, least, hey, not financial advice, but. Please, always. There's always nothing here as financial advice. Educational purposes only, blah, 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 blah. I think the biggest question is, like, exactly, like, how will the regulation play out? For the first time, the Fed in the last FOMC statement, like, mentioned crypto, like, four or five times. Yeah. Like, mentioning how the fact that, like, you know, it's... um, it reached three point whatever trillion dollars in market cap and this and that. And like the question is now how will, like I think one of the biggest things to watch for and the regulators generally around the world will go after first is stable coins. Yeah, they will. Because they're already wrote the paper. Yeah, like exactly. It's like they, if, if they don't have the control of the distribution, the railways, the, the yeah. everything of their own money. Like that's a big problem. So, just, so and and it's so crucial for the crypto ecosystem too. Like if you don't have a unit of account in the DeFi space. Well, that's where the Fed is right when they said three, two, three years ago, like the crypto ecosystem is a risk to the broader financial system. Because Absolutely. it's I, unregulated leverage, right? And so if you listen to Jeff Snyder stuff, you get some great stuff on Euro dollars. Well, Euro dollars were created in like the 50s. Yeah. People didn't even know what they were until like the 80s, 90s. And then in 2007, they, blew, they literally blew up the world. So 
if you want to know the path that stable coins could take, yeah, look at that market because yeah. they're they're basically the same. So the Fed's not wrong, and we do need some regulation, but we don't need this like you're guaranteed to survive because well, because you are the, in the buddy system. Absolutely. Well, uh, very fun. I I appreciate it today. So, um, for listeners, if they want to find out more about you or kind of how you think about the world, where can they find you? Uh, just on the website probably is the best time. Debscapital.com. There's like a contact tab or something. Okay. Send me and an email. D-E-P-S. Capital.com. Yeah, just shoot me an email. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, thanks for joining. I know we've been meaning to do this for a while. But um, yeah, sounds good. Thank awesome. you so much. It was a great time. Let's do this. Do it again. Do it again. And dive deep. Sounds good. Thank you so much.